Hey guys, welcome back. So I am not doing the World of Helen this week, but I'm doing it with her next week. I just had some scheduling issues and I couldn't do it this week. So next week, we're going to have Helen on. So today, I'm going to do vaccine reactions. Now, I feel like this is really good for both our general practice and our ER and our receptionist to be able to know about. Um, and even anybody who's over in boarding, because a lot of times we'll still do, you know, vaccines and then send them over to boarding. And it's really important to know what to watch for. So real quick, um, if you actually want to know about like what vaccines are given when, I did go over that in episode two way, way back then. Hopefully it sounded okay still. But, you know, you can go back to that one, listen to it. And it kind of just talks about like when vaccines are given for puppies and kittens and like booster vaccines and why we get vaccines. But I'm just going to talk about mostly about vaccine reactions today. So real quick, I'm just going to go over like really quickly what a vaccine is. So a vaccine is basically like us giving an infectious organism like a virus or a bacteria and giving it back to the pet in a harmless manner. So we're altering that bacteria or that virus to make it to where it will not cause that virus or bacteria in that dog. Or cat. So like, let's say we're talking about parvo. If we were to take a small portion of parvo and we made it to where it cannot attack the body, we put that into the vaccine and then we give that to the dog or the cat. To think about this another way, think about a police officer who's looking for a criminal. That police officer will usually have you know, a mugshot or a license plate or something to be able to identify who that criminal is. As soon as they see the criminal, they're able to arrest them, put them in jail, right? The same thing happens with the vaccine. We give the vaccine or basically a picture of the virus or the bacteria to your body or the immune system. And the immune system is like the police officer. It sees it and it realizes this is who I need to be looking for. And so if that, let's say that dog does get exposed to parvo after having the vaccines, its body now knows how to fight it off, or at least how to sequester it, like put it in jail basically, in the immune system to figure out how to fight it off. So it's kind of along the same lines. Our body is just creating its immune system through giving being given those vaccines or basically a template of what to look for. Now, with vaccines, there are some that are there just to help lessen the severity of it. Um, think about things like kennel cough or bordetella. There's multiple different ones in there to try to help lessen the effects of kennel cough if it does get it, but it's not going to be 100% at preventing it versus there are other vaccines that are more likely to prevent it almost completely. There's no vaccine that's 100%, but there are vaccines that we try to help, you know, try to make sure that they cannot get it, like the DAPP or distemper, basically, to try to help make sure that they do not get distemper through that vaccine. Now, what a vaccine does is it stimulates the immune system. And when an, a reaction occurs, it it's making an inflammatory process from that immune system. So the immune system is not just saying, okay, I'm looking for this parvo uh, piece or parvo particle. It's like, 
ramping itself up. It's like, I need to find this thing. It is having anxiety about it. It needs to find it and creates this immune response, which creates inflammation and some inflammation we can kind of expect. So when owners are coming in through general practice, you know, some of the things that you want to let them know are vaccine reactions that are probably going to occur because again, we're probably going to cause an immune response. So some of those reactions are going to be just that they're a little uncomfortable where you put the vaccine or where the doctor put the vaccine. Sometimes there's even going to be swelling at that vaccine site. So even just showing the owners where the vaccines were put, like let's say right now where we're doing a lot of curbside stuff, or if the owner wasn't there during it, or they didn't see because they were talking to the doctor, you know, just showing them where the vaccines were placed so that they don't get worried when they touch their dog's shoulder and it's extremely painful and they yelp. Or when they touch their cat's, you know, back leg and it hisses at them. Like they should know that it's probably going to be pretty tender. They might also get a mild fever from it because again, we're creating an inflammatory process. Inflammation usually comes with a fever. Like let's say when you get a vaccine, if you were to put your hand over that area when it's, when you're starting to get some tenderness, it's going to be warm. And we expect that because we're causing an inflammation. They also might be really lethargic. They, they might want to get, get up and walk around or play um, or even sometimes eat. Because again, like we're creating this inflammation, it's just going to make them kind of not feel great. They just feel kind of lethargic. Like after you get a flu vaccine or the COVID vaccine and you just kind of feel blah, that's, they're feeling the same way. Some of them that get the intranasal vaccine, so like the Bordetella vaccine, they can have respiratory signs afterwards. So they might have some sneezing or some coughing or even some nasal discharge for about two to five days after the vaccine was given. So when any of these things occur, we don't need to pre-medicate them. We don't need to give them medications afterwards. If they call in and they said they're tender, we don't have to have them come in for that. Um, and we don't need to alter the vaccine schedule. The vaccine schedule can stay the same because again, these are things that we kind of expect to happen. Think about any time you've had a vaccine, this is kind of along those same lines. You know, your arm hurts, you feel, feel, you know, really lethargic, you don't really want to move your arm. Those are all the same things that we would have. The next thing to talk about is if they have a swollen face or hives. Typically, this is going to start out as redness around the eyes. They'll be like kind of itching at their face or they might itch at their back. The owners might notice that the hair is all, all wonky. And when they touch the back, they'll notice bumps on it. Those are hives. If they notice those things, they can give Benadryl at home. We usually tell them to give one milligram per pound. So the best thing to do is just to help calculate that out for them already. Let's say they have a dog that's a 50 pound dog. And then we want to make sure that they give two Benadryl or two adult Benadryl um, if this does occur. And just let people know they just need to use regular adult Benadryl. Uh, the other name for it is diphenhydramine. They can get the generic of it too. That's perfectly fine. But not to get anything that has any other additives. So no Tylenol to it, um, not the Benadryl D that has a decongestant in it, and not the gummy Benadryl, it's just regular adult plain Benadryl. If it's a really tiny animal under six pounds, then we just have to calculate how much that they would get 
for their liquid dose because children's Benadryl comes in 12.5 milligram per five mils. So you have to give quite a lot. So like, let's say a dog weighs 25 pounds and we wanted to give it liquid Benadryl. You're going to have to give 12.5 times two is 25, right? So twice that of five mils would be 10 mils. You have to give 10 mils. That's a lot of liquid to give to a dog. And especially when it's not a good tasting medication, you know, dogs don't particularly like cherry and they're not going to like it. So I usually tell people if their dog or their pet is less than six pounds, then I'll calculate how much to give as far as a tablet. But otherwise, it's much easier to give the tablet if they're over six pounds. Let's say they give the Benadryl. They waited about 30 minutes to an hour and the swelling of the face is not stopping. Their hives are getting worse. Then they need to come in for that. You know, sometimes just giving Benadryl can be enough and they can usually deal with the symptoms at home, but there's going to be times that it's just not going to be enough and they need to bring them in if that's the case. Usually we're going to repeat the Benadryl for them. We're going to do it as an injection though, because one of the things is when they give them the tablet or the liquid, if they already have food in their stomach, it's going to take them a lot longer to be able to digest that pill or that liquid, get it into their bloodstream and then have that reaction stop. So like, let's say if they have a full stomach, it could take like two to three hours and we need to help stop those symptoms beforehand versus an empty stomach. They're more likely to be able to stop that vaccine reaction a little bit sooner at least. So when they come in, like I said, we're usually going to give Benadryl. Sometimes we will give a steroid too. This kind of depends on each doctor. There's definitely been studies that have shown that if you give just Benadryl, that the vaccine reaction will go away. But they're also really uncomfortable, so sometimes we'll still give a steroid. Again, it really just kind of depends on the situation. Some dogs that have heart problems and stuff, I'm not going to give a steroid to versus other dogs that they're just really, their face is really swollen, like bulldogs and stuff, I'm probably going to give a steroid to. The steroids do good and bad things. The good things is going to be it's going to help decrease that allergic reaction, so decrease that swelling. The bad thing is it's going to make them drink more and urinate more and eat more. And the most important thing for that is that if they do start, eat, if they're not that type of dog that would like normally eat stuff or not that type of cat who would jump on the counters to eat stuff, they will become that type of dog or cat for the next like three days. So it's really important for people to like put up their trash cans, don't leave food out on the counter because their pet will eat it on steroids. The big important thing for Benadryl is just letting them know that they're going to be sleepy. It's not going to be a huge deal. You know, just they're going to be a little bit sleepy from it. And some dogs, it actually does the opposite thing. Um, I'll tell you about that story for my kid later on, but it can do the opposite effect. But really the goal of the Benadryl is to help try to stop that reaction. And the body kind of takes care of the swelling if we're all we're giving is Benadryl. But the owner should know what those side effects are. I typically go over it with them and usually it's on the discharge paperwork that we give them, but they should know that those are things that they should expect because sometimes they're like, why dog is drinking so much water and they don't know why and they think it's because of the vaccines, but it's not. It's because of that steroid that we gave. Now, reasons why they have to come into the ER. So let's say one, we talked about the hives and the swelling not going down. They definitely need to come into the ER. Other things are going to be if they have a severe coughing or if they're having difficulty breathing. 
it can, the swelling can go into their neck and it can cause them to have a difficulty breathing. It's not a common thing, but it is a, a possibility. So if they're having difficulty breathing, they definitely need to come in. Or let's say they said that they had the vaccines done and the cat or dog vomited in the car one time. I'm probably not going to be as concerned about that because they can definitely get car sickness. But let's say after they got home, they were persistently vomiting and having diarrhea. That becomes a lot more scary, especially for dogs. Their shock organ is their GI system or is their guts. And usually with anaphylaxis, the very first sign is going to be that they start having this persistent vomiting and or diarrhea. So if that's the case, we want to get them in immediately. Anaphylaxis is a severe allergic reaction. So kind of depending on how severe it is, depends on what we're going to do. But in order kind of to decide if this is an anaphylaxis, we do a couple diagnostics. One is we're looking at them on ultrasound. We're going to look for this black ring around the gallbladder. And that's just fluid that's around the gallbladder. And what happens is, is that their vessels in their liver become really leaky and that fluid just goes into the body. But it kind of collects in the gallbladder because that's like the biggest space that's closest to the liver is going to be this space between the gallbladder and the liver. So it causes what's called a halo around the gallbladder. The other thing that we're going to look for is going to be on blood work. The ALT is going to be extremely elevated. Now, it can be a little bit hard for dogs who have a liver problem already to tell if this is anaphylaxis because we don't know was their ALT already elevated or was this because they're having anaphylaxis. But in most cases, in most dogs, we're going to be fine with just seeing that the ALT is elevated and knowing that we have to treat for the anaphylaxis. If that dog is not severe, if they do not look like they're in shock, they do not look like they're dehydrated, their blood work doesn't show they're dehydrated, then a lot of times I'll just treat them with the Benadryl and the steroid and potentially send home some steroids for a couple of days. But let's say that they have like signs of, of having shock, truly having shock. Like they are really dehydrated, their gums are really pale or muddy, um, they can't really stand, they look terrible, we're going to hospitalize in that situation. It is really rare when we have to do this, but it's still a possibility. Other things that they might see for anaphylaxis is also going to be just collapse. They could see that they let their dog out in the backyard and suddenly just falls over. Needs to come in immediately because that is an anaphylactic shock. It has to be hospitalized because their blood pressure is down. We have to get their blood pressure up. We got to get that vaccine reaction to stop and then get them to the point to where they are out of shock. Again, not a very common thing, but definitely can potentially happen. And if they do have these kind of reactions, these life-threatening reactions, it will get worse every time they get vaccines. So a lot of times we're going to want to alter the vaccine schedule or they're going to pre-medicate before vaccines uh, or even potentially not get vaccines at all. We'll kind of talk about that later on. And some people will ask like, what causes the vaccine reaction? Well, there's actually like lots of things in the vaccine that can cause the vaccine reaction. There's the infectious organism itself. There's also a vaccine stabilizer. So something to help keep it stable within that liquid and also preservatives that could cause that vaccine reaction as well. Now, who is most likely to have a vaccine reaction? 
technically every dog, every cat, every ferret, every rabbit, I know we don't give vaccines to rabbits, um, I don't believe, but there are vaccines that have been created for rabbits. So any animal who gets a vaccine can have a vaccine reaction, just like any treatment we ever do can have a reaction to it. But pretty much anybody could have a vaccine reaction. There was a study that was done in 2005 that showed that one out of 350 dogs had some type of reaction. Now, this could range from that swelling on the the arms or legs, or it could be that mild fever. It could be anaphylaxis. It was just one in 350 dogs. But of 10,000 vaccines given, only 13 of those vaccines had a reaction. Now, I don't know if you were doing the math in your head or not, because I was doing the math in my head. I was like, wait, one in 350 dogs had a reaction, but somehow 13 reactions and 10,000 vaccines. So you actually have to think that, remember that most of the time when we're doing vaccines, we're giving multiple vaccines at a time to one dog. So yes, one in 350 dogs had a reaction, but of the 10,000 vaccines, only 13 reactions occurred. And um, the reason why is because there's an increased risk to giving more vaccines. And this usually occurs more in small breed young dogs. And actually male neutered dogs, it occurs in more than female dogs or unneutered dogs. And it's usually dogs between one, one year old to three year old. Now, you would think that it would be like our puppies, right? Two-month-old to nine-month-old, but it's actually more frequent in the one- to three-year-old dogs. And the more vaccines we give, the more likely they're going to have a reaction. So for each additional vaccine that they received, there was a risk of an increased risk of 27% in small dogs and 12% in large dogs. One thing to note, though, that this is not including bivalent vaccines, Bivalent vaccines are like our DAPP or our FVRCP. It has multiple vaccines in it. So DAPP, you know, it has distemper, it has parvo, it has parainfluenza. So there's multiple different things in that one vaccine. But that did not increase the risk by having that, that multiple vaccine. It was actually when we had multiple injection vaccines that caused the problem. So if you had DAPP, and you had lepto, and you had bordetella, and you had rabies, that increased the risk of having a vaccine reaction by quite a lot in our small breed dogs. Versus in our large breed dogs, you know, it increased it just a little bit. And remember, these are just overall having a reaction, not having a severe reaction. All right, what are some of the things that can be longer lasting vaccine reactions? Um, these are usually things that they just have to be seen on general practice for. They don't have to be seen through the ER, but it's usually going to be that if there's swelling from the area where they were given the vaccine for after two months, so for at least two months after having the vaccine, or if the diameter of that mass is greater than two centimeters, especially in cats, then they do need to come in so that they can be biopsied. Again, just has to go through general practice. It does not have to be seen on the ER. Some of the other things can be like hair loss. This is especially true for dogs um, who get rabies. My my wife's dog, when, when she had a rat terrier, 
She had gotten the rabies vaccine in her right rear, and she had a scar and hair loss from it. And that can be normal. It just happens. They don't know why. Uh, some manufacturers just say instead of giving it sub-Q, give it IM instead. And then more serious thing that could happen is going to be like injection site sarcomas. This can happen weeks or months or years even after having a vaccine. And notice it says injection site sarcoma, not vaccine-related sarcomas. The reason why is because it can happen kind of with any injection. All we know is that cats create a more robust inflammatory response anytime a needle goes through their skin. So they've actually even had this happen even from a microchip. It's only been documented once from a microchip, but it still could potentially happen. And it can happen to dogs as well. It's just not as common as it happening to cats. The problem though is that a sarcoma is a type of cancer. And it can be a localized thing. So when we give the vaccines, it is really important to do it as far down on the leg as possible. Because if this is really localized, then that means that we could potentially do surgery where we amputate the limb and it's less likely to metastasize. But let's say you do it on the shoulder. And like I said, this is for any injection, not just doing, not just for doing um, vaccines, but any injection. If you do it on the shoulder, and it develops a injection site sarcoma, we can't really do very much about it. Like they can do surgery to kind of help debulk it. They can do chemotherapy or radiation therapy, but the chances of it spreading are going to be much higher or the chances of us not being able to get rid of it are going to be much higher than if we were to do it lower down on the leg and potentially make it so that that cat or dog, most likely cat, is only a tripod rather than unfortunately, you know, having to put it to sleep. So try to do it as low on that limb as possible. And this one we do have some odds on. So about one in 10,000 to 30,000 vaccines will cause an injection site sarcoma. That's not, that's not one in 30,000 injections. This is one in 30,000 vaccines specifically. So Still really low odds, but still can potentially happen. And we can do whatever we can by doing it as low as possible to try to help prevent it. There are also autoimmune disorders that can be triggered by vaccines. So typically it's not necessarily that the vaccine is causing the problem, but let's say a dog gets ITP and we've covered ITP on another episode. So you can always go back and listen to that, but it's where the body is attacking the platelets, which are really important because we need them to be able to, for our blood to clot. But let's say the dog gets ITP after getting its vaccines. Well, it could be that the vaccine bound to that platelet and then the body recognizes that it's not just the, the vaccine that's the bad thing, that, that organism through the vaccine that's bad. It also recognizes its platelet as being bad as well. Again, like going back to that police officer having a picture of you know their criminal. Well, if they have a picture of the criminal in this car, I'm going to go with the Mercury Cougar because that's a that was one of my first cars. So let's say they have a picture of the criminal in a Mercury Cougar. They're going to now think that it's not just that criminal that's bad. 
it is also the Mercury Cougar that's the bad thing as well. And so now we're going to impound that car too. The same thing happens for our immune system. The immune system picks up that it's not just that that organism that's bad. It's also what that organism is riding on, which is going to be that platelet. And now it starts destroying its own platelets because of it. Again, this is not a common thing, but it is something that can potentially occur. So what can we do to try to help if they do have a vaccine reaction? So one thing we can do is we can talk to them about giving um, the vaccines like just fewer of them at one time. So instead of giving, let's say, all four vaccines, we give two vaccines or just one vaccine at a time. The only thing about that is, though, that they have to be spread out at still that like three to four week interval. So like, let's say they decide to do one vaccine at a time. So maybe they do DAPP and then they need to finish that series every three to four weeks until it's finished before they start doing the next type of vaccine, whether it's Bordetella or rabies or lepto or whatever it is that they decide. But if they do it less than two weeks apart, you're still fighting off that immunity, like your immunity is still being made from the vaccine within that two weeks. So it's really not going to make a difference if it's only two weeks apart. They usually need to be three to four weeks apart still. But the one good thing about doing that is that they'll know which vaccine is causing the problem. Let's say they do on a cat, they do FERCP three times. It's now 16 weeks. It's gone through its whole series of FERCP, no vaccine reactions. Now we give FELV and it suddenly has a vaccine reaction. Well, then we know that FELV was the cause, not FERCP. And some people will ask, like, can we just give like half the dose of the vaccine? It's actually not effective that way. It doesn't stimulate the immune response correctly. And it's basically just giving them water. It's not going to actually do what it needs to do. So it's not a good idea to just give half the vaccine. Some other things is that we could pre-medicate with Benadryl. Some people may ask, well, can I just do that regardless to make sure that they don't have a vaccine reaction? If they don't have a vaccine reaction, there's no reason for us to do that. We have no reason to give Benadryl beforehand because it's going to lessen the immune response. And we want a good immune response. The hard part about this is we have to balance the pros and cons of this. You know, if the animal has a vaccine reaction, we want to minimize the vaccine reaction. But if they don't have a vaccine reaction, then we want to be able to give them the best chance possible at making a good immune response in case it does come across a parvo particle or a parvo virus. And this is something to talk to the doctor about because sometimes they'll want to do an injection of Benadryl beforehand versus just giving them a dosage of Benadryl to give beforehand instead as like a liquid or a pill or whatever it is before giving the vaccines and before they even leave the house. Um, another thing that could be done is just talking to them about like not doing the vaccines at a vaccine clinic, actually doing them at a hospital or somewhere where they can provide emergency services. Because if they do have vaccine reactions, like really severe ones, not just like the mild ones where they're itchy or where they have, you know, a swelling on their their leg like this is like true um, anaphylaxis or you know collapsing things like that then it's probably not a good idea to do those at a vaccine clinic where they're not going to have the capability to help them if they do have this really severe reaction which if they've had it before they're more likely to have it again and the next time it's probably going to be more severe than before
The last thing is probably going to be not to vaccinate them in certain situations, like especially if they've had a really bad vaccine reaction, they had really bad anaphylaxis, they were hospitalized, they had collapse, or they had that sarcoma, or they have the autoimmune response, then in those situations, we're probably going to not want to vaccinate them. Unfortunately, there are certain laws, though, that we have to abide by in certain counties and in certain states and stuff. You have to give them rabies. No letter that we can write is going to be good enough to be able to say, like, you cannot have a rabies vaccine. So in certain situations, we still have to vaccinate them for rabies, but uh, we may not have to vaccinate them for something else. Like, let's say we know that it's that the dog is having allergic reactions to lepto. Let's just not vaccinate them for it. Or let's say that we had a dog who had a severe reaction to, um, you know, had ITP from a vaccine, like maybe from distemper. Well, then maybe we just don't vaccinate that dog for it. We're going to have to weigh the pros and cons of all these things. The pros are we don't want that dog to have a severe reaction. It's not going to be good for the dog if they were going to kill it with a vaccine. Versus, you know, the cons are going to be, unfortunately, they're going to be more susceptible to getting those viruses or bacteria that we would have otherwise had vaccinated them for. And it's going to be a risk, unfortunately. All right. I think that that's it for our vaccine reactions. If you guys have any questions, let me know. And again, as always, if you have a topic, please let me know. And I'm happy to do that for you. And then real quick, my fun stories. All right. Fun story time. So I said I was going to tell you my story about my kid in Benadryl. So when we decided to go on our first plane trip with Oren when he was little, uh, we were really worried that he was going to scream the whole time. And we were going to be flying to Baltimore, so a long distance. Therefore, my wife and I decided that this kid was just going to scream the whole time. Like he, oh man, he was a rough, rough baby. But he would scream a lot and throw up a lot. So we didn't think that he would actually sleep. So we decided we were going to give him Benadryl to help him sleep. That went terribly. He had the opposite reaction. He did not sleep. He was bouncing off the walls. It was terrible. Like he was trying to jump on the seats in front of him. Oh man, rough. So we did not give him Benadryl on the ride back. Um, he's, we still had a hard time, but not as hard of a time as when we gave him Benadryl. He does much better with Benadryl now. Like now he actually does get sleepy from it when we have to give it to him. But that that time was rough for sure. My other story for you is I had my first injury as a podcaster. I got this new microphone that I was super excited about. And I was trying to set it up. And I totally sliced my thumb up while I was trying to get it onto the mounting system. It's going to be rough doing surgery for the next couple of weeks. But, uh, you know. It happens. Luckily, it's my left hand, not my right hand. So less instrument holding, at least. All right, guys. Again, like if you have any questions, you have any comments, you have anything that you want me to go over, let me know. I'm more than happy to do that. Thanks, guys.